You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 311. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hello! Hey, son! Hey, son! Hello! How are you? <laughs> Everybody Good. happy? Welcome back, Annika! Yeah, thank you! Yeah. <laughs> How does it feel to be back in Europe? Cold. It's cold. cold, yeah, yeah, sure. You <laughs> left, uh, left. It was bloody hot in Sydney, I hear. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't in Sydney. I was in Armidale, which was always a bit colder. But it's still summer, you know? Yeah. And that's yeah. <laughs> The reason I said Sydney is that I've been fraternizing with uh, Richard Saunders again. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Again, you keep, keep doing that. that. But uh, I don't blame you, though. <laughs> no, no, he's a, he's a great guy. And Neither do you him. And it's a little bit unfortunate because this will have happened before this episode goes out. But I will give a talk for the uh, Skeptics in the Pub Sydney online mm -hmm. on Thursday, so the day before this goes out. Mm -hmm. But I, I hear it will be recorded and uh, they will put it on a YouTube uh, thing afterwards. Nice. So we will share the link when it's happening, or that, <laughs> when that has happened, I should say. Mm? Mm. So good. Nice. No, and he complained about the weather. It was very, very oh, yeah. hot. They were uh, hoping for rain, actually, to bring the temperature down a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> What's the COVID situation in your household? Oh, Pontus. yes, follow-up. A uh, big uh, anti-climax. Uh, it wasn't COVID, <laughs> after all. So, no, it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> well, eventually, we got the proper PCR test done and got it back. There's a delay. And it turned out it wasn't. So, That's well. good. <laughs> so well. he, uh, Leo is back in school and we are out of quarantine. So Nice, nice. That's good. good, good, good. Yeah, we also didn't get it. <laughs> I was really a bit good. afraid. Yeah, because during the flight there apparently yeah. has been a positive person on the flight. Oh, you got um, you got a notification of that. We got a warning on the okay. on the app though. Oh, okay. Which could have been in the airport, on the flight, or in the train that we used from the airport to get home. <laughs> okay, okay. Which is of course a difference if you shared it, like if you shared something twelve hours mm -hmm. and had masks off for food, or if you shared it for forty minutes. So that's mm. a difference, but. Yeah, we don't know. But we didn't get it because it's five mm. days now. And um, yeah. yeah. How mm -hmm. was the trip? Was it long, difficult, tiresome? Mm. No, from Australia to Europe. Okay. No, it's, it usually isn't. <laughs> it's a very short trip. <laughs> 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 now, it was actually good because we had a night flight. That meant mm -hmm. Luna was absolutely knackered when mm. we just boarded the plane. So she actually fell asleep right during takeoff. Oh. <laughs> it was like um, tires lifted from the tarmac and she's like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. And then she slept, I think, 10 hours of the 14 to Dubai. Wow. And um, in Dubai, we just took a shower and, and stuff. And then she slept another three during this of the six from Dubai to Germany. So you, so you flew Emirates? Yeah. Or like it was a coach here, Emirates and Qantas. Mm, okay. Both are very good airlines. Yeah. Yes. Mm. <laughs> yeah, good exactly. to have you back anyway, Annika. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm That's happy right. to be back. I mean, I wasn't gone from the show, but no, no. Uh, of course it was a bit harder for all of us, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I've got an idea. Guys, I just realized that Sweden mm -hmm. has got the greatest number of uninhabited islands. <laughs> okay. Possibly even in the world. Right. I have a little bit of um, restriction as to how to understand this properly. But because I, I think it's there's something fishy about how they categorize things as <laughs> islands. But I understand there are a lot of uh, uninhabited islands in Sweden. So why don't we all move there? And well, you should consider that they may be un uninhabited for very good reason. For a reason. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whatever. I like the cold weather. I don't mind the cold weather. Actually, I, I prefer the cold to the hot weather. So I'm not looking forward to what's coming in the next decades. <laughs> oh, really? No. But I, only I, if we write our own version of this holiday island book of Astrid Lindgren. I don't know oh, that one, actually. I'm which ashamed I don't know. to say. What, Let what me just look that? up what the English or Swedish uh, version of that is. Hmm? <laughs> I do remember you guys talking about 
her yeah. back in the day, but I, I still haven't got any first-hand experience with her books. <laughs> so. I think it's something called, I will butcher it, but it's Vipo Saltkrokon. Ah, Vipo Saltkrokon. Yes, yeah. yes, of course. I, re- I remember like a this very most, dangerous animal. mostly <laughs> as a, a TV series, uh, but I yeah. guess there was a book behind it first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, in German, it's called Ferien auf Salzkrokan. Salzkrokan. Okay. Sounds yeah. even more dangerous. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Everything le- sounds dangerous in, in German, and some things are. Yeah. Yes, even homeopathy. Yeah, it's stupidity like homeopathy, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's why uh, Informationsnetzwerk Homeopathy wrote a really good letter, an open letter, to Karl Lauterbach, who is our new health minister. And they tweeted about that to their open letter in which they urge him to please change the special law for homeopathy and to withdraw the state and insurance support of homeopathy. To which he replied, yes, of course I will. <laughs> Immediately, right away. Immediately. <laughs> now, I think I think he didn't read it yet, but the more traffic, of course, it gets the better. Mm-hmm. So... Mm. I would be very happy if our listeners also retweet um, Natalie Gramm's tweet. We will put the link in the show notes and the, the link to the actual letter we put in the show notes too. <laughs> great, great. Yes, yes, yes. Put some pressure on him. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's actually a good guy. So yeah, do it. <laughs> well, he hasn't made too much of a fool of himself yet, but it, he's only been on the job for a month or a couple of weeks. Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> Good. That's another very good initiative on the Information Netzwerk Homeopathy's uh, part. So uh, congratulations. It's really good to have them out there. Yeah. Now that you're in on the board of uh, GVUP, Annika, are you getting more involved with uh, INH as well? Or? Partly, but also they're not completely the same thing. Mm. Ian Ha is under the wing of, of GWP, yeah. but it's also its own thing. Okay. So I do get more updates. And I'm also, Susanne Aust is a pretty good friend of mine, I would say. <laughs> yeah. So I, I also get updates this way. Yeah. Okay. But I'd like to remind all our listeners that uh, the network has very good materials available in English as well. Yeah, so exactly. that is right. You should go and check it out. Obviously, the link will be on the show notes as usual. So check them out. And I think if you want to translate the materials into your own language and use it, just contact the network, at least in my opinion, based on, on my experience with them, they will be thrilled to have them translated into other languages as well. Yes, exactly. Uh, just go ahead and do it. And why don't we go ahead and do the show? <laughs> the <rest laughs> Very good. Of it. Let's start with Twish, also known as This Week in Skeptical History. This week, I'd like to commemorate something that is very important from a skeptical point of view, and that is when a terrible, controversial paper was retracted from the Lancet on the 2nd of February, Mm. 2010. Do you have an idea of what I might be referring to? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, uh, Andrew Wakefield's terrible study. Yes. Mm. Yes. Uh, Well, I wouldn't call that a study. That was was a paper that was (laughs) almost completely made up. It was a paper that wasn't (laughs) worth the paper it was written on. Okay. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. So, Andrew Wakefield's... Andrew Wakefield at all's paper. So he wasn't the only author of the paper, but uh, later the authors, the other authors, basically distanced themselves from Andrew Wakefield. And for a good reason. Mm. Because it turns out that Andrew Wakefield fabricated most of the data that they, they work with. And it was published in 1998. And it took 12 years for the paper to get to the conclusion that it should be retracted but the problem is that by that time the damage has already been done yeah so this is what the paper that made everybody believe that uh, there's a link between vaccines and autism exactly that's the one well actually it wasn't the paper that made that connection because Ah. as andrew wakefield later mentioned during the investigative phases of this uh, case the paper doesn't specifically say that it hints at it 
the connection was made in interviews, consecutive interviews after right. the paper has had been published. But that was picked up by all the news outlets all over the world, and especially in the US, it was very well received by the general public, unfortunately. Then it was the Sunday Times and uh, the British Medical Journal who supported most of the investigations into the misconduct case of Andrew Wakefield, who really did a lot of terrible things. First of all, turns out that there was a little bit of a conflict of interest because he was working on his own vaccinations for all three of the diseases that the MMR is there against, uh, so measles, mumps, and rubella. And the reason why several of the parents of the 12 children that were used in the paper as uh, examples, they were absolutely convinced that the reason why they children uh, showed symptoms of autism was because they got the combined vaccination, the MMR vaccine, because a couple of weeks after they started emerging. And then came along a lawyer who decided to use this research or so-called research to support his case, the cases that he works with. But then came along Brian Deere. Brian Deere, who's mm. uh, the investigative journalist whom we interviewed Ooh. on episode 238, actually. So Brian Deere did a really good job at uh, dismantling this whole situation. And uh, he wrote down the, the whole story of the investigation as well in the, his book, The Doctor Who Fooled the World. The General Medical Council was the one investigating the case in the UK. They basically kicked him off the medical registry. And, of course, the Lancet paper was retracted. However, by then, nobody cared if the actual paper was still there. Because a lot of people around the world by that time had become convinced that the link is real. Even though, immediately, so before this retraction... More than 20 research papers had been published showing no connection whatsoever. Because the whole question emerged, obviously there was a lot of research going on trying to figure out if there is an actual connection. None could be found. That didn't stop the anti-vax movement to grow so big that now with the COVID situation, they are growing even further. Mm. So... Yes, I thought it would be a good idea to commemorate this very important event in this terrible case when, on the 2nd of February 2010, The Lancet formally retracted that terrible paper. Mm. Yeah, so uh, I encourage everybody who missed our episode way back, uh, go back and listen to Brian yes. Deere talk about it. It was a yes, great interview. Yes, yeah. mm. It was a great interview. He's a total hero. <laughs> he's, he's a mm -hmm. guy who doesn't get scared very easily even though he got quite a bit of abuse for what he did oh, yeah. and uh, that didn't stop him <laughs> he just kept going and the findings are talking for themselves all right so um let's move on and i'd like to find out if you have something to poke the pope for pontus no pope today there are some things brewing, but nothing that uh, we haven't talked about before. And the things that is brewing, are brewing, will probably be more interesting to talk about in a couple of weeks. So no Pope today. Oh, it's just, just a teaser. <laughs> All right. Can't wait to hear what he's been up to lately. But uh, that means that we are moving on to discussing the news. Yes, and not unexpectedly, uh, we're going to talk a bit about COVID, of course, the mm -hmm. pandemic. Mm -hmm. It is now two years since the start of the pandemic officially uh, was declared as a pandemic. And the WHO Europe has released a couple of communications to commemorate the fact. Mm -hmm. And this is region Europe. This is not EU. So we're talking about when they quote numbers, they're talking about 53 countries, not the 27 that is the In EU. including places like Kazakhstan and and yes Israel <laughs> is there, yeah. is there. it's, yeah, it's yeah. a bit strange to call but i guess they need to divide the world in sizable chunks i don't know yeah 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 the first communication that they released is summarizing the pandemic so far in numbers and statistics 
I won't mention all of the statistics because it will just be me quoting numbers, and that's not so interesting, but I'll mention a few of them. And this is these are numbers as of 20th of January this year. So 4.3 million in the Europe region have been pushed under the poverty line, which is a consequence that it's not talked about too much, I think. Ooh. Before the pandemic, the trend was, they don't give numbers for that, but the trend was that the number of people living in poverty in the European region had always, oh, not always, but they, it was going down. But after the pandemic started, 4.3 million more people are living under the poverty line. And the poverty oh, line God. is defined as earning 5.5 US dollars or less per day. I don't think we talk about that a lot. We talk about no. the disease, but not the financial consequences yeah. for many people. Well, which is a shame because uh, on the side of those people who are against the restrictions and vaccinations and all that, they often mention the economical consequences of the lockdowns and everything. Yeah. So there, there is a lot of tension and it's good to know that it's getting noticed, but... <laughs> yeah. But it's, what did you say, 4.3 million people more. That's a lot of people. Yeah, that is. Oh it is. Speaking of a lot of people, 123 million COVID cases have been detected over these two years. It could be wow. more, it could be f fewer people because you can get COVID more than once. Yeah. But uh, that is a lot. That's more than a third of all cases globally confirmed. Mm -hmm. But we should also say that that's not it's not it's hard to compare region to region because different countries are testing more than others or yeah. especially in the beginning. One out of every 3 countries out of the 53 countries in the European region have reported disrupted care related to non-communicable diseases. So this mm -hmm. is Mainly cancer, you think of cancer, diabetes, asthma, things like that. So Cardiovascular diseases, which right, are very common right. in some places. Yeah, so yeah. that's not contagious, but the fight against these diseases has been hurt by the pandemic, so that you have postponed or cancelled certain projects, etc. So that, that's yeah. not good. So I have some good news for you now. Maybe, maybe this is a good news. I could be higher. 65% of or everybody in the region has received at least one dose of vaccine against COVID. That's a little lowish, but still. And this is of the total population, so that's counting even the children. And there are massive differences among countries, right? So there are countries with, let's say, the low 30s, and yeah. other countries are around the 90% range. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I, I don't have... This is not in this report, but from memory, I would say that Bulgaria is very low on COVID vaccines. Look that up. Don't take my word for it. But there are some countries <laughs> that are very low. Yeah. And um, this number was actually shockingly high. I didn't realize this. They say that 63% out of the population in the European region has had COVID at least once. And you can't compare that with the number of confirmed cases. This is an estimate that the Health okay. Metrics and Evaluation Institute has done. And they, so, they, so this is a theoretical number, but it's based on, hopefully, uh, scientific calculations. A lot of the cases, of course, have never been confirmed. People get sick or they don't even get sick. They just get infected and they don't even know that they have it. But uh, they estimate that 63% of us all have had it during this two years. So that's interesting. Wow. <laughs> the next number is more exact and confirmed. 2,369 deaths per day in average over the two years. That ends up with a lot of people. Yeah. It ends up with 1.7 million people dead. That is... 99 persons every hour over the past two years have died. <laughs> That's, That's sober. <laughs> Sobering. Yes. So, we need some good news. And the yes, good news please. is that they estimate that about half a million people in the age group 60 and above have been saved by vaccines during the same time. And mm -hmm. actually, during the same time, that's not right because 
we only had a vaccine for about a year. So half a million people have been saved by vaccines. That's good. And that's only mm. in, in the elderly, but that's where it's more risky. I have another shocking number, uh, shocking for me. 13% of health workers in the region has still not been vaccinated. Doesn't say why, but uh, I think, you know, I would have guessed being naive and <laughs> optimistic person as I am sometimes anyway, <laughs> uh, that health workers of all people would see the benefit of getting vaccinated because first of all, they understand what vaccines are. They shouldn't be anti-vaxxers. And also in their job, they meet people all the time that are vulnerable to diseases. So they, if any, if somebody should be vaccinated, it should be every health worker, but uh, mm -hmm. apparently not. 13% of them are not. Actually, I saw another news. It wasn't the same report, but I saw another news today. And that is that the UK is now planning to scrap the vaccine mandate for health workers. And in the UK alone, 127,000 health workers are still not vaccinated. Is that wise? I understand that they are... <laughs> Is anything no. wise about, about <laughs> the, the UK government at the moment? No, that's, that, that's correct. But I, hopefully <laughs> so, that, this is not Boris Johnson doing uh, everything. I, I think this is other bodies in the UK that's doing this. But I can see one reason, and that is that they are running short of health workers and they mm -hmm. need everybody they can, can get their hold on. But uh, I don't know. We will see if that was a good move or not. Okay, let's not take too many. One more number. <laughs> and this is interesting and a little bit worrying. Between 10 and 20% of all COVID victims suffer from post-COVID-19 condition or so-called long COVID. This is something that will, of course, develop and be investigated further over the years to come. And, and it's too early to have any opinion about that. But that's quite a high number. At least one in every 10 persons who get the disease have some sort of post-COVID or long COVID symptoms. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Anyway, let's end this on a little bit uh, positive question mark <laughs> note. Dr. Hans, no, what is he? Is he German, Annika? Dr. Hans Henri P. Kluge. That sounds very German. That sounds I don't know. very German uh, yeah. or Austrian. <laughs> Austrian, maybe. I don't know. But he is the WHO regional director for Europe. He issued a statement saying that even if we do see more cases than ever at the moment, he is cautiously optimistic that the pandemic is on its way to fade out eventually. And I, we hear this from, from a lot of other directions as well now. And uh, it is, it, I think it's early to say that, but there are some positive indications and mostly that, well, there are two factors that I can think of. One is that Omicron is, seems to be milder than the Delta variant. And the other is that we, we do have vaccines now. And, and as we said, a lot of people are getting vaccinated, even if it's too few, in my opinion. Mm. But maybe, maybe we are starting to see the beginning of the end. But it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's, go it's going to be months uh, or half a year or so, at least, even if we're lucky. So he ended his statement with, I can read this quote, we'll see what he's had to say. Quote, with strong surveillance and monitoring of new variants, high vaccination uptake and third doses, ventilation, affordable, equitable access to antivirals, targeted testing, and shielding high-risk groups with high-quality masks and physical distancing if and when a new variant appears, I believe that a new wave could no longer require the return to pandemic era, population-wide lockdowns, or similar measures. End quote. So that's strong. That's very optimistic, especially coming from somebody in the WHO. Let's hope that is true. Yes, mm -hmm. <laughs> let's hope so. Mm. I've got an interesting news item, and that is that it seems to be that there's a new trend on the horizon in regards to denialism. <laughs> oh, okay. I deny that there is more denialism. <laughs> I don't want to believe it. <laughs> You're wrong, Pontus. <laughs> oh. 
because there seems to be um, part of the or sub subspecies of climate change denial seems to be denial of biodiversity loss. What? There was a study <laughs> done by <laughs> researchers. What will they come up with next? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. There was a study done by researchers from the University of Eastern Finland and the University of Helsinki. And they found out that some Finnish forest owners don't even believe in biodiversity loss. Of course, forest owners in uh, Finland and probably everywhere value nature and biodiversity. But biodiversity loss is only completely accepted by a fifth of all forest owners in Finland, which is What? pretty baffling if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I mean, they, they they think that there are new species of trees and beetles or whatever showing up all the time, or what's going well, like, on? I would because, say because we know that some of them are disappearing. Yeah, and I would say it's probably just they're completely closing their eyes and denying that it's happening because the problem is, and that's also what they said in um, in the study, you have to reevaluate the sustainability of your foresting. That's something that they have to do as forest owners, as the people who log and work with the forest, mm. harvest the forest, if you want. They have to reevaluate that. They have to find new ways to use the forest and also how to, for example, how to differently plant trees, and how to give maybe like little eco niches or so. And what would also be very helpful for that, the researcher said, is to fund new advisory services because some people also just don't know how to make their forest more sustainable. It's important to maintain the status quo, even if you can't make everything more biodiverse than it is right now. It's important to be where you are and not make it lose even more. Yeah. <laughs> okay, watch this space. I'm sure we will hear more about that in the future. In the future, yeah. Mm. Yeah, okay, but we don't stop there when we uh, we are covering uh, stupidity and <laughs> a growing level of that. Let me uh, report something from our Hungary. So, uh, <laughs> our turf, or uh, my turf here. Uh, the problem is that uh, I think I've mentioned it here as well on several occasions that the Hungarian government has been taking a different approach to this COVID situation in almost every aspect. So, for example, by taking up the Sinopharm vaccine, the Sputnik vaccine that no European Union country or most of the European Union countries did not, this was not necessarily a good choice, especially because the field data is now <laughs> suggesting that Sinopharm is almost useless, completely Oh, I haven't useless. seen that. Interesting. Yeah, it's basically uh, Hungarian researchers who published a paper not too long ago. The link will be available on the show notes. And the other thing is that they started buying large batches of antiviral drugs as well, including one that is called favipiravir. And favipiravir, oh. you've you probably heard about it. No, I haven't. Um, it's uh, sold under the brand name Avigan. It's a um, Japanese drug, so mm -hmm. it's, it was developed in Japan as an antiviral medication, especially for influenza and some other viral infections as well. But it was suggested very early in the pandemic that uh, it might be useful for treating SARS-CoV-2 patients as well. However, even early indications suggested that it's probably not doing anything especially not reducing the mortality or the number of severe cases. And the more available data there is, the clearer it becomes that it's really not useful. So there is no use applying favipiravir at all. But now the Hungarian government has bought such a large batch of all that that even GPs can prescribe it. Mm -hmm. And they prescribed it all over the place to everyone, suggesting that it works. Now, this is a case when it's actually the government that spreads the misinformation, because they keep bashing on the thing, jumping up and down, saying that it works, and it reduces severe cases, the number of severe cases, and it, it helps preventing a great level of mortality as well. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and now... The government, well, 
it's not the government itself, but the National Institute of Pharmacy and Nutrition, who decided to file an official complaint against those who spread the the so-called, according to them, the misinformation and the misleading claims that it doesn't work. So now the Hungarian National Institute of Pharmacy and Nutrition claims that it works and those who say otherwise are spreading misleading claims. Yeah. So... You're fake news. I'm not fake news. You're exactly. fake news. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's where we're at now. And it's all over the news, all across Hungary. And the problem is that there's already a big fight going on because of so many misleading claims and terrible communication on the government's part. And now this one just adds to the already existing trouble. Oh. Terrible. <laughs> Agreed. Something that's not that terrible, is to look on the bright side of things, right? <laughs> like what? Like has spreading misinformation? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, enlighten us. <laughs> Without being toxic uh, positive, <laughs> Okay. which is also a thing, as we know. There's an article out in German media about how there's a bright side of pseudoscience. Really? And I found that really interesting. And, and they mention several things that are positive, about pseudoscience. For example, pseudoscience keeps scientists on their toes. They have to improve their psychom <laughs> because mm-hmm. of pseudoscience. Battling pseudoscience often improves scientific methods. For example, the first single blind study in 7080 was because of pseudoscience. The first double blind study in Germany was in Nuremberg, 1835. Funnily enough, about homeopathy. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Pseudoscience is also interesting when you think about responsibility. So the bright side is that you can learn empathy with that because we should care if other people sacrifice their health, wealth, happiness, or even life for homeopathy or for other (laughs) pseudoscience and pseudomedicine. And that means pseudoscience eventually makes people think about rationality. At least that's what... The article claims. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not everyone, though. I mean, it no, makes exactly. us think about it, but the, the guys <laughs> who are really deep into pseudoscience, yes. they don't rethink very often. So it's like, I can see what they mean. I'd much rather not have pseudoscience around if I could have a choice. Mm. <laughs> but I can understand how you can say, oh, yes, that's a positive side of it, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right. But at least it gives us something to do, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Where would we be ab- uh, without pseudoscience? We would get you, bored thank very you, easily. Thank you, for <laughs> giving us all the news here. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm not convinced, Annika, but uh, I appreciate the effort. All right. So, what other epidemics can we talk about? I know measles. <laughs> Woo. Oh, we haven't talked about that for a while. No, but we've said it before, and we will say it again. As soon as COVID restrictions are lifted, measles will be back. My prediction is that we will see similar numbers as we did in 2017, 2018. Mm-hmm. The UK Health Security Agency says that during the pandemic, the MMR vaccine uptake in children below five years old of age it has fallen to 85.5%. <laughs> that is very alarming because, as we know, we who listen to the ESP know, mm-hmm. measles is very, very contagious. Nine out of ten unvaccinated people can catch the virus if exposed. And you you will be exposed as well, because if less than 95% of the population is protected, the disease is out more or less out of control. It's circulating in the population. This is a very big setback. In 2017, WHO declared that the UK had eliminated measles, which means it doesn't mean that it's totally gone, but it's it means that some cases could still occur, but the, the disease is not widely circulating and spreading. Already in 2018, they lost that status in the UK. So this this article is about the UK. But we hear a lot of the same things from all over Europe. I think, and this is pure speculation, not the doctor Pontus Berkman is speculating, but 
I think that the reason we are not seeing a big measles epidemic at the moment is because of COVID restrictions and lockdowns. As soon as those are lifted, we will talk about measles again, I can assure you. Mm. Yeah. Very likely. Mm. Luna will get a MMR jab tomorrow. You're a good parent. Yeah, it's her second one. So <laughs> Yeah. Great. Is it compulsory? Uh no. 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 It's recommended but it's not compulsory. We don't mm. as far as I know, we don't have any compulsory. Well, we have controls now for measles as teachers. But it's more like you have to show it and then they'll be like, Yeah, okay, but <laughs> it's also they're not too harshly controlled. Mm. But that's for teachers and there's no mandatory for children yet. Mm-hmm. France mm-hmm. has mandatory vaccinations for for measles, I believe. For a number Hungary of does. Uh, number number mm. of uh, vaccines are mandatory in, yeah. in France. Well, but I yeah. think Macron is also someone who has a lot of integrity, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And apparently, that's one of the key factors for a working democracy. The UCL, the University College London, and their constitution unit did a major study of public attitudes to democracy. They found out that scandals with dishonesty cost votes big time. Mm-hmm. Integrity and honesty are extremely important to voters. And they're funnily enough valued above all other traits. And that's something I wouldn't have thought of. But mm-hmm. then I thought about it. And then I was like, yeah, actually, yes. Like, uh, yeah, if someone would be totally dishonest, but would get stuff done, then I'd be like, no, I'm not voting that person. <laughs> <laughs> they collected traits that would be important. And being honest, owning up to mistakes were the things that were named the most and much less important were getting things done and being inspiring. Mm-hmm. Which is funny because someone like Boris Johnson always says, oh, the priority of the voters is to get Brexit done now. That's actually not true. The priority <laughs> of them is... <laughs> it was mm-hmm. never Brexit. Brexit <laughs> should never have been any priority yes. from anyone. Exactly. Shouldn't have been happening. Mm-hmm. But if you want to hear numbers... Mm-hmm. Um, 71% shows honesty before delivery of a policy that most people want. Only 16% said that they want the policy that most people want to be followed through. So you can really see that people f- in, a, in a working democracy, they demand integrity and honesty and really don't want this no holier-than-thou thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They want to have the same rules for everyone, for their representatives, and that is healthiest for a democracy. Mm-hmm. What they also said in the study is that this is not, like the numbers, are not knee-jerk reactions to the headlines, because that was a long-term study. It was a long-term result. So it's nothing that they just reacted to when the yeah. scandals with COVID hit. And what they also say, what's important, is to limit the power on top. So there should be a system of checks and balances on the executive power to like maintain and, and groom <laughs> this power. And yeah, the integrity is important above all. And I think that's yeah telling us a lot, right? Um, it's uh-huh. just, but it also for me says, yeah, it, it is part of democracy that everyone um, has to follow the same rules because otherwise it's not a democracy. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes yeah, sense. <laughs> that's right. I, I'm just a little bit cynical about this, and I can give you a quote if you want. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll give you a quote even if you don't want it. I want it. It's funny. Give it here. Yeah, right. <laughs> so this was said by Groucho Marx, apparently. And he said, The secret to life is honesty and fair dealing. If you can fake that, you've got it made. <laughs> Yes, but you know what? Faking it in the long run is much more difficult than keeping it up. <laughs> no, no, he doesn't say anything about it being easy, but if you can get away with it, yeah, then yeah, you're, yeah. you've got it, mate. But this brings to mind what, well, it was earlier on in the during the pandemic when we discussed the Swedish government's mm-hmm. approach to handling the situation and the honesty that they came out and said that, you know what, we were wrong mm-hmm. and... Now we're going to try it a different way. <laughs> and 
that's that's the kind of honesty that is really the core of building trust in people. Yeah, but it didn't for everyone. A lot of people felt betrayed. So, well, you said something now, and you're lying to us because now you changed your mind. So yeah, that's it doesn't just a work. communicational you know, issue. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because not everybody appreciate honesty. To contradict you, Annika, I'm afraid <laughs> yeah. uh, there are a lot of people who <laughs> would rather have leaders who are strong and never yeah. never admits to doing anything wrong because that yeah hence the success of people like or Viktor Orban and Vladimir it's probably yeah. that honesty in politicians or in everyone to be honest uh, haha, um, is on a spectrum <laughs> so you can have more honest and less honest people <laughs> I'd like to plug my pet topic and my pet book. My Is it Star favorite Trek? thing. No, 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 it's not Star Trek. <laughs> However, I could go on and on and on about the, that connection that could be made. However, I would like to plug here a brilliant book that was written a very long time ago. It was by Carol Tavris and Elliot Aronson. And that mistakes were made, but not by me. Mm. And a lot of their examples are about politicians, how they try to distance themselves from their own mistakes and their own wrongdoings instead of owning them up. And they conclude that even back then, research showed that honesty pays off Hmm. much better in the long run if you own up all your mistakes and and wrongdoings and try to to work them out. (laughs) But yeah, this day and age, well, it was written... In a different time. So, <laughs> like, I think it was written 10, 20 years ago or something. So, or even, even longer than that. Good old so days. So, might not still <laughs> hold that amount of water. Okay. Thank you very much, Annika. Thank, Thank you very you. much, Pontus. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to finding out who's been really wrong or right. Right, so before we go into uh, today's awards, I want to bring up two old Really Wrong Awards. Okay. Uh, because they were in the news again this week. One was Eric Clapton, who got an award on episode 285 for refusing to quote-unquote discriminate against unvaccinated people at his concerts. And he would refuse to perform on any venue that had any COVID restrictions. And for that, he got a a really wrong award. And this week, he was at it again, calling (laughs) vaccinated people victims of mass hypnosis. Oh. So um, I don't know what how he's figuring that out, and he can keep his award. He seems to have earned it. He should just stick to the guitar and the microphone and sing. Yes. Sing and play the guitar. You do it brilliantly. Both of them. <laughs> Especially don't playing. Go- I, I'm not so fond of all of his I like his voice. Songs. I don't really. But, but he does play the guitar. Uh, yeah. Fantastically. So yeah, stick to that. Stick please. to that. Or, or <laughs> shut up. <laughs> oh, and shut up, rather. There is another really wrong award that I have given out before that I need to mention again. And we have to go to Poland. And we have to go to the Piss Party. They have received four awards over the years. But in October 2020, on episode 246, they got an award for virtually banning all abortions in Poland. And this is really tragic and tragic news. I don't know if you've seen it, but there was a pregnant woman who died last week due to that law, directly because of that law. She was expecting twins and she was reportedly doing fine at first. But then one of the fetuses died inside of her and the doctors refused to remove it because uh, there's the law. I think this was complicated because it was twins and I don't think they could have aborted just the dead fetus. That It would have meant uh, aborting the the living fetus as well. So uh, they didn't do it. But it, I mean, it's not like the other fetus had a chance in hell to survive with a deceased twin beside it, right? Yeah, Sorry for being... Now they lost everyone. It's great, you know? Yeah, yeah. Sorry for being very <laughs> explicit here, but this is terrible. Yeah. So, uh, so sure enough, a week after the first twin died, the other heart stopped beating. And uh, for some reason, they still waited two more days before doing the operation. And two days after that... The mother passed away as well, probably from uh, sepsis due to all Mm. of this. 
I don't really have words for this. This is so terrible. And the only thing I can say really is this is what happens when you let religion rule instead of science and common sense. I, I, I'm actually tempted. Well, I'm going to do this. Even though the piss, <laughs> the piss has already received a really wrong for this law, I will officially hand them a second one for the same thing and put that in the official record on our website. So, <laughs> yeah. That's not even the really wrong for today. <laughs> Speaking of religion, uh, well, I, I, I have a new award. And since there was no poking of the Pope, I, I'm allowed to bash the Catholic Church here <laughs> instead. This time in Germany. You're and not do- only allowed, you're always welcome to do that here. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> there is a new documentary out called Wie Gott uns schuf. Is that properly Yeah, how God created us. (laughs) Yes, how God made us Mm -hmm. was my translation, but yes, that's the same thing. And I haven't actually seen it, uh, but it investigates and interviews people employed by the Catholic Church in Germany and how they've all, not all, but how they have had to hide their sexual orientation for years and years in fear of being let go. And there's one couple, two women, who have... uh, lived together for 40 years, but they've had to keep their relations secret for all this time. And it's not just them. We're talking about priests, friars, community leaders, diocese employees, teachers, kindergarten teachers, social workers, and more. And they all report about intimidation, denunciation, being miserable, decades of hiding and living in fear. And it's apparently also very arbitrary. Some dioceses are more okay with people's orientation the way they are and others you get fired for uh, having what they call an improper relation and um, I think that is terrible so I will give up actually two awards for this first for harassing and suppressing people's right to live their own lives the catholic church in Germany get a prize for being really wrong but then for making this documentary, Wie Gott uns schuf. I'd like to try to speak German here. So how God, how God made us or created us. The journalist, and I don't think this is a German name, so I don't know, actually know how to pronounce that. Hayu Seppelt. Anyway, h- however it's pronounced, he gets <laughs> today's Really Right Award for doing this documentary. Very well deserved. Cool, cool. Well, you're being very generous with these prizes. I yeah. mean, you're just ha- handing them out. Right? Right right, and left and right and left. So, yeah. Well, it's, I think Pontus has a whole th- uh, cellar full of really wrong and right awards. That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> yeah. I'm not running low on my supplies. I, I will continue <laughs> yeah. to hand them out. Yeah, unfortunately, the world is not running low on supplies of, uh, of stupidity either. So, uh, yeah, you will always have something That's to honor with a, with a prize. Okay, but that basically brings us to the end of the show. But what we need to finish on is a quote. Yes, and the quote today is Twish of last week. <laughs> oh, Dobzhansky. Yes. <laughs> and the quote is by Theodosius Dobzhansky, as I said. Who was that? You can listen to that last episode. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, Seen in the light of evolution, biology is, perhaps, intellectually the most satisfying and inspiring science. Without that light, it becomes a pile of sundry facts. Some of them interesting or curious, but making no meaningful picture as a whole. Right. So true. Yes. So Evolution true. rules. Mm. <laughs> Have I ever told you that that was the very reason why I decided to study, to go and study biology? That's I think nice. so. First but, place. Uh, tell yeah. us again. Yes. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it it's is. It's just the beauty of it. Yes. The whole thing, how it brings every piece of knowledge together from the whole field. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it connects so many things. It's so nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's not only and not only in biology either. It basically goes through 
the whole of the universe. The universe yeah. is going through like in in a process of evolution as well. Mm. Yeah. Everything goes go through and that. The process. most important part, I think, of understanding evolution is that it puts humankind in perspective. Mm. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, we are just one of the animals. Yeah, and that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, we're not yeah. the top of the creation. <laughs> no. Yeah, you have a different perspective yeah. on things we and all living, <laughs> all living things and you it helps you appreciate everything that that's living and on that very nice note <laughs> i'd mm-hmm. like to uh, thank both of you for living and being my friends and being my co-hosts <laughs> uh Annika and pontus it's always a pleasure recording with you thank you so thank you very much this animal thanks you. Yeah. This animal <laughs> thanks you too. <laughs> and I'd like to thank all the other animals. wonderful, gorgeous <laughs> animals out there uh, lending their ears to us week after week. So thank you very much for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Vislat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. Hope is not the strategy, Andros, you know that. <laughs> I know. Pontus is very sassy today. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, poor Frit. <laughs> okay, boy. I am recording, guys. <laughs> it's not a monkey. Chip oh. monkey. Chip monkey. <laughs> All right. Testing and shielding and shield. Fuck, it's a long sentence. <laughs> <laughs>